Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And I'm speaking to Associate Professor Liz McKinley about feminist pedagogy. This is part two of a two-part interview. Now, there were some fairly influential figures. Yeah, Maxine Green, she only recently died, and her contribution was very much around thinking around arts education and its value in terms of transforming the world uh, for a more socially just place. But she was very, very much also a very strong advocate of feminist principles in pedagogy and education and so she I guess sits underneath a lot of the work that that many of us do and she had some beautiful phrases for describing who who she was and what her agenda was one of her perhaps most well-known catch cries I guess was I am what I am not yet and she had you know she would say things like uh, we are forever on the way um, to talk about who we are and what we might be doing so but I guess thinking about um, others in the field, Patty Laver, I guess, is one of those that we, if, if you're working in feminism and education and, and philosophy, she's a name that pops up quite a lot. So her landmark book was uh, Getting Smart, Feminist Research and Pedagogy Within the Postmodern. And that was really one of the first serious texts to take on what she calls the big boys of, of critical pedagogy and um, really challenge the, the sexism and the, uh, the lack of attentiveness to women. It was, um, you know, she heavily criti- criticised the critical pedagogy movement because of its lack of gendered analysis. It, it came very much from a Marxist perspective and, you know, there was a lot of attention to issues of class and other things, but there was an assumption that the white men speaking were speaking for everybody and so the silence and exclusion of women in that critical pedagogy movement was something that Patty Laver definitely tried to enter into and she talks about the big boys in the big tent of uh, critical pedagogy and and tried to make very much an intervention into that. Bell Hooks is an African-American feminist scholar who has been really quite influential in the field of feminist pedagogy. Many of us would know her work in feminism and the work she's done to um, think about particularly black feminist thought. It's been quite influential in the field of feminist pedagogy and, and what we see with her work is a combination of the, the thinking and writing she's done around feminism, particularly from a black or African-American feminist standpoint, but also her work in critical pedagogy per se. So Bell Hooks worked with Paulo Freire, who was um, a very influential figure from Brazil, who uh, famously wrote a number of books, and two of them, the first was The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and the second was Pedagogy of Hope. And in the first book, he very much spoke about the idea of education for liberation and education as critical consciousness and um, that that was a significant um, education was quite significant if oppressed people were ever going to be able to struggle or, or you know remove themselves or be able to have agency to uh, remove themselves from struggle and oppression so 
bell hooks worked with him and was very influenced by his work and so she um following on from some of her you know important feminist texts she then wrote a series of books on education and the first one um is called teaching to transgress and it's very much about how what the uh what education systems and educational institutions are like today although she was writing in 1994 but she was speaking very much about the the very white hegemonic masculinist constructions of teaching and learning particularly in higher education and she you know kind of put forward positions that said things like well why couldn't we why do we have to teach as though our bodies were missing you know we're all these disembodied women walking around in a university where head knowledge is valued over embodied knowledge and she talks very much about um engaged pedagogy so that idea of relationships with people and she really started to challenge i guess some of the the ways we think about teaching and learning in the ways we think it should be and importantly in relation to critical pedagogy she very much uh made a, a gendered intervention into the kind of assumption that all of the the white men speaking about critical pedagogy and i guess the one that people might know most well is henry jerome um but she wanted to very much put forward uh, a woman's perspective on critical pedagogy a feminist perspective and particularly make some kind of intervention and disruption on the basis of race and uh, and ask people to consider their own racialized uh, positionings within an educational landscape and i suppose in some ways what we see here is uh, an enactment of you know third wave if you want to call it that intersectionality and that call for people to be really thinking around the subjectivities that they hold and the different kinds of powers and privileges uh that make education for critical consciousness a possibility or not so she um her work has been incredibly influential particularly for me I've um I can remember the first time I picked up the book teaching to transgress I was sitting I'd bought it at um a bookshop or sitting in an airport and I'd uh just started thinking about feminist pedagogy in classroom and and classrooms and what I was actually doing and I thought oh, I should read Bell Hooks I love her other work uh and I was totally unexpected for the absolutely um fascinating story that she tells in that book so definitely a good read if you're wanting to find out a little bit more about feminist pedagogy and where it where it came from where its beginnings were Yeah, certainly. I I think that people do that. They'll they'll see a book and think, "Oh, it mightn't be exactly what what I'm interested in, but once you sort of start reading it, you realize how important it is." So, please. one that one that I continually return to and I think there's I remember some I, I wrote a paper once and the reviewer came back and said, "Why do you keep citing Bell Hooks? She's so yesterday." and I was devastated because I thought how could someone's thinking uh, such influential thinking it still has a lot of relevancy particularly when we think about the fact that higher education institutions have not significantly changed very much they're still very much a white masculinist institution that privileges the voices of white white men so for me Bell Hooks's work is going to have uh, currency for a very long time 
Well, I, th- I think a lot of things in philosophy are very yesterday. I mean, if you took that to the extreme, we'd never be able to mention Socrates or Plato, would we? I know. And in my own work, I I use Mary Wollstonecraft and in his writing in 1792 and Virginia Woolf and Helene Sassou, a whole range of people who... Uh, and I think that that in itself is very much a white masculinist perspective on knowledge and knowledge creation, that, that the possibility of return and cycles of knowledge and um, is something that kind of jars against the idea that knowledge must keep moving forward. You've got to keep, it's about progression and movement forward all of the time. And so I, I really like and enjoy the fact that in, in a feminist way of thinking about knowledge, the possibility of return is always there. There's not too many new ideas, really. I think that all the ideas we have recycled or a different combination of ideas from the past, aren't they? I think so. We often talk about, you know, that we're all in in mimicry of what other people have said um, and that idea of the possibilities of new ways of thinking. I guess what we can do is turn them around and upside down and inside out and and shift and move them to be in different contexts. So uh, the feminist philosopher and writer Sarah Ahmed, she talks about the swerves that we can uh, make possible. So that idea of swerving an idea around to a slightly different viewpoint. The idea might have been there for a very long time, but uh, swerving it so that it, it, it takes on a slightly different trajectory. And um, and I think that's an exciting way to think about how we might generate new ways of thinking about old ideas. You know, there's a type of consciousness raising as well. Yes, so I guess in one of the tensions, I think, in feminist pedagogy is has always been, as soon as feminism entered into the academy, there's always been a tension between keeping the relationship with feminism and activism firmly in place. So a lot of um, feminist activists lament in some ways the entry of feminism into the academy because they look at academics and see a complete disassociation with the you know, the, the activist principles that began feminism in the first place. And so there's often a tension and criticism of what people are doing in, in classrooms and educational institutions and what its links may or may not be with consciousness raising and activism outside of that classroom. And there's often, just like people will talk about good and bad feminists, People talk about good and bad feminist academics and sometimes one of the the criteria for that is whether or not a feminist academic sustains a relationship with activist projects outside. So I guess a number of ways we, we think about that is that in terms of feminist pedagogy, if it's doing the work that we would like it to, it's always already consciousness raising because it's not only teaching different kinds of knowledge but it's demonstrating and modelling and enabling different ways of enacting that knowledge, which we hope uh, translates outside of the academy and enables people to take on different kinds of performativities to achieve their activist goals. So I think that's one of the things that we feminist pedagogy can model quite well. So things like collectivity and senses of collectivity around knowledge making and then putting that knowledge making into practice 
is something quite significant in terms of what feminist pedagogy may or may not be be able to do. Um, And I think for those of us who actively put in place a feminist pedagogical approach, many of us would be trying to model some of the activist work that we do within the, I guess it's, we're all time poor, so we do what we can um, in the spaces that are available to us. So in, in my case, I've been active in the National Tertiary Education Union as a Women's Action Committee representative for my state and I'm definitely trying to think of ways that from that position we can be looking at empowering women and getting a, a dialogue happening uh, within Queensland at least. So, And then talking to my students about that and the kinds of feminist principles that's putting in place and the activities that we do to try to consciousness, you know, to do the critical consciousness raising that, that's important. So I guess we, it's very easy to be critical of the fact that you know, maybe academic, feminist academics are not as actively engaged in activism as some people would like, but I think most of us do what we can within the, the time and space we have available. Now, there's quite a few activist projects happening at the moment. Um, I think that there are. So one of the ones that, for example, that I'm involved with is in Brisbane there's a community organisation called Visible Inc, which is a youth space. And so I've been going along and contributing to their lecture series for young women. They have a project called One Woman Project, which is about education for empowerment for young girls. And they're running, they have two courses. They have Feminism 101 and Feminism 102. And they have girls from, you know, 13 to 17 uh, sign up to come and take part Um, It happens after school and some of the local high schools are quite proactive in supporting that course. They don't pay anything for it. It's a volunteer organisation but it's a way I guess of getting the word out there about how raising people's knowledge and awareness around gender empowerment and gender justice. So I mean that's a tiny little project and of course there are others which are a lot more activist in nature but that's certainly one that I've recently become involved with. Yeah, that'd be really good if it could spread to other states as well. I think there's a real need for it. Yeah, I think so, particularly now. And the interest in the program is really high. And I think it's because there is a lot more, I guess, visibility of gender equality and equity issues than we've had for some time. So if we think about the emphasis in the media on the gender pay gap and also domestic violence, those two things combined. I think there's a lot more interest in trying to understand that situation and finding ways to to improve it. And and similarly with our uh, gender studies courses at University L, I think this is my colleagues around the country I'm sure would have a similar story that enrolments in in an introductory first-year course around gender issues um, have increased and also so too has the participation of men in, in in those settings. So there's a lot more interest now in thinking around gender and, and what's going out in the real on in the real world and how knowledge from the academy might contribute to that. I think, you know, maybe five years ago there was a sense of uh, in universities at least, well we've done the gender thing now, the problem's solved. But of course, you know, all the statistics from universities tell us very much that 
the problem isn't solved in universities either. Um, and so the support for gender studies is, is increasing at many different levels. Now, this uh, literature on feminist assessment is fairly sparse, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, when I was thinking about that question, I was trying to get a sense of why that, why that might be. And I think that in some ways trying to pinpoint what that a feminist assessment might be searching for or wanting to achieve is, is an interesting one. But I guess if there's any kind of consistency around what many feminist teachers will do in terms of assessment, it would be that there is often an, an essay or a process where students are asked to be reflective so they need to think about their standpoint, they need to think about their positioning and their subjectivities and how that contributes to knowledge making or knowledge of a particular issue. And so that would be the one consistent kind of feminist assessment practice that you would see, a real attentiveness to reflection. And I guess it does come back to you know, the, the feminist catch cry, the personal is political. So wanting to make sure that that element of a feminist principle is is very much being enacted through assessment and a reflective, critical, a critically reflective writing essay would be one of the ways that, that people do that. So just as an example in uh, the gender studies course I'm teaching at the moment, we're asking students to think about the waves of feminism and if there are any currents in those waves that uh, they feel assist them to understand their gender identity today. So not asking them, are you feminist, but asking them to think about some of the, you know, the currents and thinking and um, agendas and politics across the waves of feminism that contribute to their understanding of gender now. And what we ask them to do is think about two examples from their own life that demonstrate that. So we're trying, in that, in that essay, we're trying to get a sense of the connection between the knowledge and, and the body, the knowledge and the person, the knowledge and the subjectivity, so that it actually becomes a knowledge that's embodied, not one that they just, they're just learning because it's part of an exam. So I think that's definitely one of the tenets of feminist assessment practices. But you're right, the, the literature on that is not, is not that massive, although there are a couple of journals one in particular that I enjoy reading, it's called The Feminist Teacher. It comes out of the States and there are lots of uh, academics writing about what they're actually doing in the classroom. So lesson plans, ideas for teaching queer theory or as well as some attention to um, assessment practice. So that's definitely worth a look if you're interested to know what people are doing on the ground. Yeah, so I think too with the activist projects, it'd, it'd be good to aim at quite, well, younger girls rather than mm. waiting until women attend university because sometimes it can be sort of difficult to to change some some opinions that have already been formed. And I mean, they, they could have been formed because of the, the media exposure and, and various other things, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So do you have any future study plans within this area? So I guess the couple of projects that I'm working on at the moment, I'm just finishing a book which is called Teaching and Learning Like a Feminist in Higher Education. So I'm really looking forward to that, uh, making it into print. And I'm also finishing a project with a colleague at the Gender Studies Institute 
at ANU on speaking like a feminist in higher education. So trying to, we've interviewed women from around the country to ask them their opinion on uh, what happens when they, in a higher education context particularly, what happens when they try to raise their feminist voice in context and the kinds of spaces that are made available for that and the spaces where women very much feel silenced in, in the academy as feminists. So that, I guess that's one of the projects that I'm interested in. And the other one that I'm keen to perhaps have a think about is ex exactly something you just mentioned, which is that idea of working with younger women and working with young girls in schools, uh, in primary and, and secondary school, um, to see uh, what might be possible there in terms of raising a feminist consciousness. Well, that sounds great. Um, well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you very much, Beth. Thank you. I've been speaking to Associate Professor Liz McKinlay about feminist pedagogy.